0: Musician Mindset is a conversation series that extracts the performance and preparation thought process from world-class musicians, leaving you with wisdom and exercises to level up your musical
1: journey. Today's guest is Dale Turner, a rock singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, producing engineer, film composer. Dale is also an instructor at Hollywood's Musicians Institute and author of over 50 instructional books and transcription folios, his latest being Power Plucking, A Rocker's Guide to Acoustic Finger Style Guitar. He writes a monthly acoustic guitar column for Guitar World Magazine and is featured in their Lick of the Day app for iPhone and iPad. A Los Angeles resident, Dale owns and uses an assortment of old, weird, rare, and or exotic instruments. Unique stringed percussion and synthesizer scoring tools. Some are featured in Weeds, an animated short he recently scored for 40 Disney artists. His most recent CD, Mannerisms Magnified, was praised by Guitar Player Magazine for its smart pop tunes that are crammed with interesting guitar parts and tones, like what the Beach Boys might do if they were on an acid trip that was on the verge of getting out of control. Let's welcome to the show Dale Turner. Dale, thanks for being here. We appreciate you.
2: Oh, thank you, Jason and Dave.
1: It's going to be fun, there's, and there's a lot to talk about, so let's, let's go way back. Oh, no. The beginning of the journey. Do you, you recall? Do you recall view? your your uh, your initial performance? Performance. Yep. The first performance
2: that you've ever had. Yep. Hmm. Besides in front of family. Yeah, I guess real perform. Well, I started on piano. Okay. And sometimes piano studios. You know, if it's one of the people that will have a private lessons in their residence, they might organize recital day. You know, that kind of thing. So that definitely would have been my first performance on something in public. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't remember what it would be. I remember some of the later ones because I played hardcore piano from first grade to sixth grade and then kind of went elsewhere. But at some point in the later years, I remember doing a whole, you know, don't stop believing piano thing like (laughs) you have to do, you know, journey. And then I think the theme from M.A.S.H., but it was a really elaborate, cool piano arrangement but the earlier stuff was probably just you know some folk song kind of thing red river valley on the piano or something do you remember being nervous or being confident those those initial shows or the first one i guess i have a faint memory of cuz it was so long ago of my back being hot <laughs> like that kind of thing <laughs> you know where you're playing and you're i guess so that would be a nerve thing but yeah. i i yeah i don't I'm sure I was because I definitely remember way more recently being nervous mm-hmm. or you know um, really frustrated if something was not going the way I'd intended it to go. But yeah, way way back, I I just it's it is kind of a long time ago. So I remember I survived mm-hmm. and I remember having a hot back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Odd, but yeah. What so. about your first pro performance? Mm. Well, that's also kind of strange. The first paid thing I remember uh, that's maybe worth mentioning because it's funny, and it is true, jazz trio, nun's birthday party. That is true. That would be one of the earliest paid things, but I, I don't know if it's necessarily the first. But we played for, I don't know if it was two hours, four hours. I don't remember, but it was one of those real book, Page-turning things where somebody would page, say page seventy-five, and you'd just turn, and do what you could. That was pretty cool. But an actual nun's birthday party, tons of nuns filling out the place, celebrating, digging our jazz. And how? Let's let's go with that path. You for probably now.
0: have an equal chance of of meeting a girl there as any other jazz gig. <laughs> There were plenty of there were plenty of girls there, all wearing the
2: same outfit. Uh, yeah, and they're a little bit older. <laughs> they're very nice. Oh man, It's pretty cool. Too good. So that, that I had to chill on the tritones a little bit. Right. Not the, too much altered stuff.
1: The uh, the feeling on that on that first gig where were the paid gig we'll talk about like were you nervous at all or or did you feel like you were totally prepared? What do you recall? besides the hot back, if it was a hot back that time, too.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. It's kind of funny that the hot back thing popped into my head because I had zero – I'd never even thought of that until right now when I thought of it, Mm -hmm. and I probably haven't even thought of it since it happened. But uh, I have always made it a point to – I don't know if over-prepare is the word, but pretty psychotically prepare uh, so that even if you do have issues with nerves, which I always did, actually – And even in my own teaching stuff, if the subject comes up, there's things that I've talked about with students or whomever that help me mentally overcome some of the nerve business. But none of that is even worth mentioning to them if they're not prepared to begin with. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So preparation. Let's say if you're nailing something at home and you're super prepared, meaning you could start... Randomly in measure three make it all the way through randomly in measure six You don't always have to go from the very beginning all the way to the end and hope it all magically lines up under your fingers or whatever uh, You know, it so confidently you can start at any point and you know survive If you can do it that perfectly at home and you have a big problem with nerves or any other kind of stage Friday thing Whatever you want to call it, then maybe you'd be 85% of your best, but that's still pretty good You know what I mean? So uh, that's kind of what I always. That's kind of what I remember trying to do. But that that particular first thing, I I kind of don't remember being nervous because I was just with my friends and we're off to the side and mm-hmm. the nuns were just partying. <laughs> so they it wasn't really one of those kind of uh, instant connection with an audience that would be more nerve wracking when you're you know in the spotlight so mm-hmm. to speak because we're definitely background music so that. Same thing with like solo guitar stuff I used to do at some restaurants. That was not really nerve-wracking because you're not, you know, look at me. It's just kind of stuff in the background Mm -hmm. to create a pleasant atmosphere for the people dining. You know what I mean? So those kind of things I didn't really get nervous. But other things where you're thrust up there and you know everybody's looking at the people you're with is, you know, took me a while to get used to.
1: Let's talk about that. Um, Sure. I I think we're going to. The audience is going to get a lot of value uh, from many things that you're going to say uh, about this topic uh, because you're an instructor, you know, like, like and a very well-respected one at that. Um, too too kind. <laughs> when you were nervous, uh, can you talk about like one of the first times you remember doing that, like, like a paid gig that you weren't background. You were just what you said, like in the spotlight. And I mean, obviously, you're prepared for it. We know that you you have
2: to over-prepare. But how did you handle the nerves in the situation? Maybe what I could do is I could cover a bunch of similar scenarios in one shot and talk about things that I use use to kind of tweak my own mental baggage during that kind of process that I've mentioned to students in the past, just overall for just any kind of performance Mm -hmm. situation. Is that cool? Yeah, that's great. So, like, I... I remember when I was in you know, music college type of thing, and if you're doing a performance there, it's already a fake environment. You're not playing for people that came to enjoy music, at least this is the way you might think of it in your own head. If you're doing a regular old natural musical performance at a venue, people come to enjoy the music. Some people that are, have the student mindset, which I kinda had and I remember this vividly still, be sitting there in a recital or whatever you want to call it, some kind of performance in school, which is kind of, again, unnatural a little bit because you have way more of a feeling of judgment being, you know, blasted at you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So a thing that, you know, I kind of mentioned to students in general, if there's somebody sitting in the front row and you're getting the feeling that they're just sitting there waiting for you to make a mistake and they have a mental checklist of all the you know, errors and horrible things you did. Can I say bad words at all? Is this G-rated? Sure. Go for it. I mean, I won't say it, but they're they're jerks. You know what I mean? If somebody's sitting in the front or anywhere in an audience and and they're wanting you to screw up, then that person really has no business even being in an audience. So in a way, if you have a little bit of that type of thing in your head as you're performing thinking, oh, this person's constantly judging me. They're just waiting for me to mess up. Then you got to not even care about those people. Because they're kind of subhuman, pointless, you know, seat warmers that are not into music for the right reasons anyway. Mm -hmm. So if you can kind of delete that chunk of a spectator out of your awareness as you're playing, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another thing that maybe I learned directly from Steve Morse, because I've had the fortune many years ago of getting to interview tons of my all-time favorite Guitar players and musicians, and every once in a while the subject of stage fright or whatever you want to call it would come up. Steve Morse, I remember saying uh, something like, if you really just concentrate on the sound of the music, like don't worry about, oh, the door just opened, or oh, the light just came on over there outside, or something uh, that's going to screw up your continuity or pull you out of just getting lost in the music itself to make it sound the best. Uh, plus interacting with whomever you're playing with. If you really just concentrate on the sound and the music that you're making with your partners, if you're playing with other people, you can kind of also kill off a big chunk of the nerve, feeling a judgment thing. And it, that takes all of that takes practice, by the mm-hmm. way. you know, It's not like you can just say that and instantly do it. Mm-hmm. But the more you practice auditioning, practice performing, the more comfortable you get. Um, another thing I think maybe I'd... In interviewing Mike Stern, if you don't mind me name dropping like a spaz, um, some in some conversation I was lucky enough to have with him, he was talking about when he had stage fright with Miles when he was playing with Miles Davis, and so he even did Miles Davis's voice, which I can't do it. And he basically had the mantra of just, "I know you're nervous, but f it." He would just literally say to himself the f word it, and just as a like a mantra. To kind of beat back you know punch down your your natural tendency to be nervous or uh gun shy or whatever you whatever you want to call it you know you're doing this because you want to and if you're if you're letting something like that uh interrupt the flow or or screw up the, the process for you you kind of in a way have to fight back um i even used to take my glasses off i remember or i had contacts then something to where I couldn't even really see. And that sometimes was an interesting trick where Mm -hmm. I was less aware of like eyeballs focusing, you know Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Well,
0: that seems to be a a recurring theme that has come across from people on the show, which is one of the solutions is to immerse yourself in the music and what you're doing in the moment. mm -hmm. And that really comes down to the concept of, uh, your, your, Internal is dictating your external versus your external dictating your internal and you're exactly right it's a skill that you have to develop just like anything else and All you know everything you just said is so great because getting to a point where you can tune all that out and Focus on the music that's going to bring you back to what matters and what you need to be thinking about
2: Yeah, and that'll help you with continuity and just expressiveness and just you know natural music making Versus a, another weird thing I noticed, I guess, to tie into that a little bit, I used to try to be a hardcore improviser, for whatever that's worth, meaning I wouldn't play anything unless I actually heard it in my head. I really tried to not just go through unloading of stuff, if this is a jazz-oriented thing or kind of anything. Doesn't mean it was good, but at least I was trying to be faithful to that for some long period of my existence. So I do even in school remember this where any time I would see a new person come into the room I would get sucked out of my continuity flow and feel like I had to start over because that person just came in because they missed not that it was mm. great but the traveling that had already happened with the improvisation I was trying to develop and so that was stupid you, you know what I mean an outside force so, so that's another thing that just another factor that can you know muck up your process so all of those things that i was kind of talking about same with Dave. The- yeah. what was the awareness
1: like yeah. how did you get to that point where you recognize hey i'm doing this like the person in the room example you just gave i'm doing this i need to stop doing this
2: i would know it pretty immediately because afterwards like the, the first time that that even happened i think uh, yeah i think even as it was happening i would realize that that was a thing and then also realize that that's like starting a story and then randomly switching to chapter three on page 80 and just starting another in the middle of a sentence, just totally incoherent. I mean, maybe it didn't sound incoherent. I don't really know, but it definitely wasn't, you know, true to the path that you're trying to put yourself on where, you know, with the development, developmental arc, dramatic arc, dynamic arc of everything you're trying to do from point A to point B to point C to Take the listener on a journey, you know, at least an attempt. So I think it was probably even it was as it was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the brain is a w- tricky thing that can hijack all sorts of stuff unless you practice just <laughs> shutting it down. I even remember this is kind of not to me when I heard this, I was like, oh, well, that's not fair. <laughs> but Steve Vai, I even had a similar this subject came up and I lucky enough to interview him like three or four times the first david lee roth show he did he was backstage nervous and but not in the way a typical person that was nervous and stage fright was he was i think it was more like about to explode because he right after he mentioned being nervous he flat out said right when he got on stage he never had a problem so that's kind of a different subject his was more like an anticipatory like a nervous Mm -hmm. build up like Something you know like that versus once I'm out in front of the crowd, I'm totally at home. I never immediately had that at all. You know what I mean? And people that have, I think what we're talking about with nervousness, stage fright, judgment, all mixed together. They're generally not the kind of person that, oh, I feel horrible until I get on stage. Like that kind of thing. That's kind of, a I don't think we're talking about that. You, you know what i mean right, right. no what what's a different type of
1: thing yeah but what you're what we're talking about you know everything that you just said is is so important and and dave you and i were just talking about this yesterday about that's one of the reasons that we decided to start this show is oh. to address this address that issue and and maybe provide paths and solutions uh that people can use so how do you, how do, would you instruct a student to start to walk down that path, and as you say, practice uh, combating their own mind
2: with the with the stage fright pre pre show. Let's let's start there. Yeah. Um. Well, this is in no particular order, and in a way, getting back to preparation. If the only way you really know how to play something is just by physical muscle memory, the moment there's a misfire, you're done. Really. If the only way you know how to get to this part is by having everything in front of it magically line up, which is what early guitar players typically do, they'll memorize the whole thing. And if they screw up in one little bit, they're hijacked for the whole thing and they can only do the music if they go back to the beginning and try again. So if that's the only way you can play, you're not prepared enough anyway to help yourself get through a problem. You know what I mean? So if somebody's a deadly serious student then they they hopefully actually know what they're playing. A, a mixture of ear training, theory, analysis. You can get to the point where if you can if you've played something enough, you obviously don't have to play it. You can hear the whole thing from beginning to end, and you know exactly what it is. In I'm just going to say arbitrarily measure three. It's an E minor chord. You've got everything connected with what it sounds like, chord names, all that stuff. If you have that kind of uh, connection to the music you're actually playing, that immediately is freeing. Because even if you screw up, you can instantly mutate it back into the right direction. This is if you're playing with other people, playing just by yourself. You don't you don't have to just throw up your hands and st- only start over from the beginning, which is a thing. Like I was saying, I don't want to say beginning, but early playing level guitar players super common i was exactly the same way oh three five seven you know just tab numbers that's how you learn just to get going if you didn't if you weren't fortunate enough to have a guitar teacher that hipped you to the you know notes on the fretboard but even besides that if you don't mind me jumping around like people that just start playing guitar maybe they're not even ready to learn what the notes are they just want to play they're not really caring about the theory thing they're just enjoying it and they're going to ride that Wave of momentum and excitement until boom, they hit some kind of wall. If they're serious enough and excited about it enough, where they realize, I can't learn this, do this, or make sense of this unless I start to learn more stuff. And that's usually when the theory thing happens. Note stuff. So, since I'm, does that kind of make sense? What I'm absolutely. yeah, no, totally, about- yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Since I'm at a you know musicians institute where people are presumably serious and we're teaching subjects like theory and reading and all that, uh, they're already kind of in that mode where there's an analysis thing and a you know whatever the progression is, whatever the notes are for the particular line, whatever. Uh, so there's a consciousness of all that stuff beyond just the physical memorization thing. Something you said: uh, prepare to get through a problem.
1: I think that is is so perfect for people to to did I say that? you oh, did cool. you did and, and sticker. it well i think it's a key takeaway for people because that right there is how you can get over this anxiety right so mm-hmm. if you like you said if you have the confidence and you've prepared enough that you know how to get out of situations should they go uh, a little to the left or to the right yeah which it always will right then you then you're going to be good so so prepare to get through a problem that's really really solid right there
2: That even reminds me of another random thing, if if you don't mind me just kind of tying into some threads here. So this this maybe relates as as far as getting some sense of freedom to you to be less judgmental during whatever process, whatever level you're playing is at. So I know we've talked a bit about the improvisation thing. So at some point, and I think this would be for me talking with the mighty Scott Henderson quite a bit, uh, I remember him saying that, You know, if you're improvising, obviously there's times where you hear a note in your head and oops, you play something else. It's not what you meant. Okay. Well, somebody might, maybe that's enough to frustrate them and they cave and they're done just from that one oops. Uh, But nobody in the audience or this listening to you is ever going to hear that that was a mistake, especially if it makes rhythmic sense. Like if you're playing something with rhythmic conviction and it lands in a you know, a way where there's some kind of a rhythm pattern that makes musical sense, a variation of a previous rhythm. You could almost play any note and the audience will think that you meant it just because of the, the conviction behind it. You know what I mean? It mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you don't have to worry about what the notes are, but that's another thing that can help if you're nervous and freaked out and judgmental about improvising or playing live and you're going for it and you hit some clams or clunkers or wrong notes... The person is not going to know, even if it's like the worst note. Uh, some people will then try to make the wrong note into the right note by emphasizing the wrong note as a joke. All sorts of things you can do to add another uh, freeing, less critical, uh, to just ease yourself through the music making spontaneous and That's an
0: instance where your bandmates can have your back too. There's that famous story when yeah. Herbie was playing with Miles and it was early on and he played a wrong chord and he was no, really hancock, nervous about it. tripping out for a minute. oh yeah sorry herbie hancock um <laughs> but, and herbie hancock played a wrong chord and miles altered his solo and played a note that fit with herbie's chord totally. to make it sound right yeah and so it can be a collaborative team effort too
2: yeah and maybe that made a new magical thing that would not happen without the mistake exactly you exactly which I mean, sir-
0: talk
1: about miles did not believe in mistakes yeah there's no such thing but that circles back to uh, what you had initially said, which is to be more involved with the music. As soon as you feel those things coming on, dive more into the sound of things.
2: Yeah, and, if you're detached while you're doing this, you would have you're not connected enough to even be able to shape what you just did into something that's going to be listenable. I, I
1: this guess. is uh, Ryan Brown. I, I was just saying this when when we spoke with him that. Um, that Weasel Zappa has the word "listen" taped to his pedal board, Sweet. as as a like reminder of like you know like be more involved. And as long as you're continuing to be focused on what you're actually doing and not the stories that you're you're telling yourself, hmm. uh, then you know you're you're going to get around those uh, those situations.
2: That triggered another memory, if you don't mind me throwing down. I mean, memory's not the right word. I also encounter people with time field problems. I don't want to say all the time, but enough to where it's making me spit this out right now. Uh, and a lot of, th- there's many reasons why somebody might have a general timing issue, but I notice a lot of, besides the, I never practice to a metronome thing. If somebody even does practice to a metronome, they're so self, this would be an example of being too absorbed in your sound. They're so absorbed in the sound they're making. They're unable to open up their ears to listen like the, weasels foot pedal thing you mentioned which is what reminded me of this to listen to the tempo that the click is spitting out because they're just too "Ah," and they drift and the next thing that you know they're in outer space and totally free time and not locked in I see people doing that in a in a rhythm section as a student where they're just in their own world freaked out because they never also practice doing something to an outside tempo source Mm -hmm. to lock in so 50% of your hearing it should be to what you're playing with and then 50% to yourself, y- you know what I mean? Just to put another thing in there that's semi-related. I, 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 w-
1: I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday uh, that I find uh, because I deal with a lot of beginner students that there's there's definitely a difference between a beginner student that has zero experience and we start to train this 50-50 uh, you know, listening playing concept from the beginning as opposed to people that have been self-taught for maybe one to two years that never use the metronome or, mm-hmm. or any kind of uh, rhythmic accountability. And then as soon as you bring that in, they they can't process what's going on because they've trained themselves to only listen to themselves. Yeah, in their own right? universe. Yeah, so you, I mean, you, you have to be able to to have this balance. So how do you deal with students uh, that, that don't have that balance? How do you start to, to craft that, um, that
2: e- kind of equilibrium of um, musicianship? Well, the most natural way, and and when I do encounter somebody that hasn't done what I'm about to say, it actually freaks me out and it makes me think, well, why are you playing an instrument? Here's what I mean. Everybody for the last billion years that's really excited about playing guitar has many heroes. I'm just talking guitar for now, if that's okay. So if they have heroes, presumably they listen to the music that their heroes play and they like it enough that they want to try to play it. They don't just play it by themselves, they try to play along with their heroes, famous recordings of whatever style, whatever era, because they just love to do it. And so that naturally is gonna help your timing. Because if you're playing with you know, any awesome real, like the Chili Peppers, I'm just picking a random thing off the top of my head. You love Chili Pepper songs, okay, well Flea and Chad Smith are kick-ass rhythm section. If you're just playing fun chili pepper songs because you like them, your timing is already going to be solved. Unless you're totally unable to lock in at all and have no idea. That's a little rare. Where if you really truly like music and you really like songs and you have a lot of influences and favorites and you want to emulate and just ride on their you know, power of their recordings and try to cop that stuff, it's a pretty natural way to get your timing and Dynamics and tone and playing together rhythmically. I do encounter a shocking amount of people though That have like minimal experience doing that which is really odd to me Which means they like playing guitar, but they only play by themselves And I don't know if it's because they like what their fingers are doing It's kind of a strange not that common phenomenon, but enough to where I'm bringing it up where they've never played in a band, they have no favorite musicians or bands or songs, so they've never played along with anything, uh, and they, that's already a recipe for all the pitfalls we're talking about. But to add a negative sounding thing to that, somebody doesn't like music enough to play along with something, I don't mean to you know, piss on certain people, I don't understand why they're playing an instrument seriously Mm -hmm. you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and it's strange to me and I do see that every once in a while where they can't tell me a favorite song can't tell me a favorite band can't tell me a favorite solo can't tell me a favorite anything and it's not because they're on the spot and like oh I don't know I like so many things it's just I don't know I just mess around that's a problem you know what I mean we all should have heroes and goals and targets and the more of those that you kind of study on and move on from one player to the next the more your own style starts to develop just from a mixture of your influences. And to get back to timing, obviously your timing's going to be good unless you're really not hearing what you're doing, and that's mm-hmm. a totally separate, pretty so, rare problem. So off of that, uh, use the word style.
1: I think one of the most unique things about you is how you've taken <clears> – <throat> The guitar, and that's launched you into fi- discovering and playing and and using all these obscure instruments to create your own style. Can you talk about your process of like what you're looking for when you're when you're composing, and um, you know how you go about finding these instruments? Hmm.
2: I have a weird thing about style and composing is two totally separate, I mean, it's not weird, but that would make me talk about two totally separate things. Mm -hmm. And some of this has actually ended up being a problem for me. Uh, I spent so much time focusing on the core elements, structurally of composition, songwriting, whatever you want to call it, meaning chord progressions form melody, period. Getting as creative and interesting as at least I could, for better or worse, in that area, regardless of the type of tone I was using, regardless of the instrument. So just regular guitar, bass, drums, yodeling, trying to make it interesting without any dependency upon an interesting sound. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So the sound itself wasn't what was making the song interesting. It was no choices, chord progression, form, rhythmic relationships, all that stuff. I spent a crazy amount of time trying to develop in that area. Then later, uh, especially once three years ago, I made the hardcore uh, about face to the film score universe. It's the form is kind of out the window. The film is now your form. It's got to kind of conform to whatever's happening in the, you know, the dramatic arc of the film, the moment in that little, 20 second blip of the picture but a lot more of that you have to kind of generate a sound that matches the atmosphere and the universe of the setting of the film so that's when I started to realize that oh wow I spent so much time not thinking about tone and interesting texture and color I'm way behind for for real so that was a whole new slap in the face um am I still yeah on no track a no this, bit? you're good so Um, and in a way, this was a rebelling, maybe this is interesting, for years I was a transcriber for books and Guitar World magazine and all sorts of stuff, so I'm figuring out stuff by ear, writing it down, they put it in the magazine or whatever, or the book. When I was specifically doing Guitar World stuff, it was always a single, because that's all they would put in the magazine, you know, whatever the chart-topping song is, And at some point I noticed that if you took the drum groove away, all that was left was very minimal, structurally musically interesting stuff in a good amount of songs that I was doing. The drum groove, awesome grooves, was what was propelling the song. But if you took that away, the progressions themselves was kind of nothing. So it was really more just about the sound only that made the song cool. And that really started to annoy me for some stupid reason. And that's what pulled me into the area I was just talking about. Wow. Trying to really strip away just down to the core, bare bones, essential nuts and bolts of songwriting. Mm -hmm. So if that's interesting by itself, then interesting sounds make it even better. But interesting sounds alone drove me crazy. It was just a problem. So anyway, long story short, uh, I started to assist some different film composers two years ago and i started to uh end up in addition to the normal stuff i would do for them sometimes i'd play stuff on their scores sometimes they'd have to have to rent a weird instrument and i would just do what i could to make it happen so at that point i kind of realized that if i had some weird instruments that's another bonus to having me involved because i could help in all these other areas but if i also had an arsenal of Strange instrumental colors, then they'd be you know they're not going to have to rent anything because I would have it.
0: Then you can bring something that someone else can't
2: bring. Exactly. Yeah, so literally. I started to go down a a path of discovery of all these instruments that I never even knew existed. Initially focusing on just string instruments, but then steering off into strange synthesizers and percussion things and other stuff. Um, I'm probably getting off track here. Not at all. But a thing to tie it back to just education, um, like if I was to show, because I was doing this a year, at the beginning of last year, like literally January 2017, I just decided on my YouTube channel to put up a short video of me playing one of these instruments each week, like a minute, two minutes long, just the raw sound, not super affected, so you could hear the natural sound of that instrument. Each week, I did that for the whole 36 weeks without a break, and then I had to stop for whatever reason. Or maybe it's 26 weeks, it d- doesn't matter. But students of mine at MI will, if they stumble across one of those weird instruments, it, they kind of freak out like, how'd you figure out how to like make something work with that? Like, how are you making music out of that since it's uh, totally unrelated to guitar? You know what I mean? So then what I tell them, and maybe this comes up in my reading class oh, quite a bit, if you develop just the ability of working with notes in your brain and know intervals and chords and progressions and all the notes that you could add to this chord to transform it into a freakier chord and all just stuff here, it doesn't matter what instrument you play. You just have to know where the notes are and then get basic technique to make it happen. If you already understand how to make it and not, it's not just a physical luck thing, you can transfer whatever your studies are to whatever this weird instrument is. An easy example would be there's a video of me playing a hammered dulcimer, which is a giant, I forget the name of the trapezoid, Mm -hmm. shaped thing with like 82 strings, but they're like Mm -hmm. triple and quadruple courses, tuning, nightmare. But if you look at it, you're like, oh, what's up with this? Because it's tuned across the bridge in fifths, which would be a nightmare. So I just wrote on cardboard strips what the notes are. Done. So if you understand notes, you see them, you can hit them and make stuff. So that's a way I've been able to use these weird instruments uh, that I know I wouldn't be able to to do at all quickly and kind of seamlessly if I didn't train myself like the ways we've all been kind of talking about, with knowing what actual you know just general musicianship stuff with notes and rhythms and progressions and blah blah. well, blah, blah. i'm I
0: might be off base in this connection, but to circle back to what you were saying earlier. Guitarists who, or any instrument, who are purely operating off of muscle memory and by rote, and don't have a a deep understanding of the context that they're playing in, that's kind of the opposite of what you're saying with these other instruments. Because you have a deep connection and understanding of what you're doing, you're able to translate that depth of knowledge to other, less obvious instruments than playing guitar
2: exactly as that long as sense. you know where the notes are in that particular instrument right then it's just a matter of physically how are you coaxing it out
0: yeah it's it's literally the opposite of playing by muscle memory you're it having just, to fight all of your like uh, muscle memory tendencies to play something new mm. and to force
2: the music to come out and it'd be literally starting over from the very yeah. beginning every single time it was a different instrument yeah that's which cool. uh, that's that is To again talk about just education, like I never in a billion years when I was in school would have thought that me studying reading and all this stuff, like why do we study reading? Because I don't know, maybe somebody's going to ask me to read something on guitar. That's initially what we think. But just the development that happens in your musical brain from torturing yourself like that so long, I never would have realized how way down the road it would have made it it would have made it so I could contribute and help other people in like this film way. I definitely didn't see that coming. I definitely didn't see me as being somebody that owned a kind of scary amount of weird instruments. So, And here's why I'm bringing this up. A student, if I can call somebody that, when they get into school, they have no freaking clue what they're gonna be doing in four years. They might think they know, but if they're really studying music, they're going to eventually come across a thing that they didn't even know existed, really, by just digging through and you know being a seeker. And so if you don't make it your point when you're in school at least to be able to, t- to study hard enough to where you can teach yourself so you can evolve instead of just, oh, I just like this one style and I'm just going to play it. I don't really know how to analyze what it is, but it's really cool and I'm going to make a band like that and everything's going to work out. Probably isn't really going to happen that way. You know what I mean? So if you're really thinking down the road, it's the kind of the the preparation for whatever comes down the pipe down the road. I think if you get your theory together, your ear training together, you know what the heck the notes are by name on your ax, then whatever it is that you dig, you can analyze and assimilate and just keep going. So it's, you know it's ha- I mean?
1: understanding the language to then be able to diversify, which sets you apart from other people in the pool
2: well it might set you apart just in that you can do that right
1: exactly yeah you know it gives you just that extra edge uh you know for cause what we're, a lot of our audience members people in or coming out of music college trying to get into a competitive market space uh, as a professional musician so anything that you can do to give yourself that edge is what you want to do and i mean what what i at least what i hear you saying is that having that that foundation of uh, theory and and all of this training has allowed you to go into these other areas that you didn't even expect that you were going to go into in the beginning but has propelled you forward uh, further in, into your career and maybe more into survive. the future exactly
2: yeah like each weird thing i did along the way the first big thing wouldn't have wasn't playing it was being a professional transcriber I was good at transcribing. I did it for myself because I wanted to write stuff out because I liked it. And then it made it easy to analyze stuff once you could see it and then you could write in one flat three, flat seven, whatever it is. Uh, and yeah, that actually was like the first real job I had out of school that was, uh, using a skill like that. Um, and then, yeah, there's, But there's a ton of things like that. I didn't know I was going to do that when I first picked up a guitar. Mm -hmm. I did know, though, if I'm backing up again, when I was reading guitar magazines when I was a youngin', I did really freak out when I would read a column by Andy Allodort, for example, who I kind of know now from Guitar World. He would be writing columns talking about these players' styles. And then I would notice he and Wolf Marshall also transcribed the songs. And it did actually freak me out just from a skill level type of wow you know what I mean so even when I wasn't necessarily into theory and you know all this stuff we've been talking about I I always was kind of in awe or so, something about something like that how wow how do they figure out how to write this stuff out and I think maybe because I had that it made me more likely to to go for it re- yeah make it a little easier or more natural at a certain point to just be open to the theory study and really learning the instrument. Cause I, even when I was in school, I, I had a few egomaniac friends. Maybe I'll just fling this out there. I see students in general that are egomaniacs. If you're an egomaniac, you're already closed off to limited limiting your learning. You're already so great. You can't be bothered to work on this or that. Rude awakening is coming for you. You, you know what I mean? It's just kind of a shame when I see that. Um, does that make sense when I'm, we talk about this all the time now. Yep. So that's kind of, kind of a shame. If you're an egomaniac and you're already the greatest and you don't need to do what somebody that, you know, if you're in school, you should be uh, submissive is not the right word, but receptive to somebody that you, you have to assume, okay, this person's here in a position to help me. This person, I guess probably knows more than me. They do. You know what I mean? In this, Anti-expert society that's been getting gnarlier and gnarlier the last couple of years. Uh, it's just a shame when when somebody's got such they shouldn't be a student. They shouldn't be in school if they got such an ego that they can't just decide that maybe this person knows more than I do. Maybe should try this to see if it is going to help, and it probably will if you at least put it into your you know routine. So I lost my thread that I was going to. No, no. This is this into, is but
1: so huge because so many of our guests have we've one one way or another we've gotten to this point um, which is uh, people being closed minded or having an ego and it causing problems with with that person potentially being able to get a gig because nobody wants to hang around with people that have an ego right. and nobody wants to be around people that don't want to learn so as we uh, kind of get towards the end of the conversation here, we usually ask guests what's a piece of advice that they would uh, they would leave musicians starting off in their in their career. I would love it for that question if you could talk about how people because you see them a lot how people can combat that if if they recognize or somebody calls out, hey, you have what we would call the, a fixed mindset um, or you have an ego. How would you how would you advise
2: people to work around that? Ah, uh, that's pretty tricky. Because if it's you can't, it's pretty hard to just tell somebody that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, th- in my experience, every one of those people ends up having the rude awakening eventually, and that's really what it's going to take. They're going to have some experience is going to something's going to happen where it's going to basically be a smack in the face, and they're going to go oh, and then they're going to realize they got to restart or, or whatever. That's probably all I could say about that okay. particular thing because it's, I've never personally, I mean, I guess I have tried to, uh, you know, bring a few people into reality just from a one-on-one student teacher thing in a nice, caring, not jerky way, just out of concern for them instantly, you know, having a ceiling right there because they're already the greatest, you know what I mean? Uh, but that would be a, a case-by-case basis i kind of don't know how i would even broach it okay but saying it right now what, a, what what a
1: piece of advice would you leave um people with today like musicians just coming out of music college or just starting their career
2: uh well hilariously all the stuff ryan said is exactly the same kind of thing i would have absolutely said ryan just like a, a moment ago um an extra thing i'll tack on to that type of stuff though is going to be basic, but seemingly not basic based on how many people I see not doing this. Whatever you do in life, leave early so you get there early, listen to music and chill out or warm up, or you're an idiot. (laughs) Be early and just relax. What's the number one way to be stressed out all the time? You're one of those people that's always late. If you're always 10 minutes late, that means you could always be on time. I see this all the time and I'm sorry if I'm loud, I'm getting excited.
1: No, this is huge.
2: So like I, this is a, you know, real gig stuff, whatever it is, or even just in a school environment. Oh, Fred, 10 minutes late again, all the time. Well, if he left 10 minutes earlier, he'd be on time. Easy to fix. That person's not going to fix it. Something maybe will happen to where they eventually fix it. But here's another weird thing about that. You never know who's noticing your pattern of behavior, like as a teacher Fellow students, if they say that this person might be the nicest person and play awesome, but if they're always 20 minutes late to everything, their classmate isn't even going to refer them to anything. You know what I mean? People are getting turned on to opportunities all the time. It could be teacher to student. It could be fellow student. People way miss, underestimate? Underestimate, I guess that's the right word. The importance of timeliness, which blows my mind so that'd be a thing if I had one thing I would say of among a ton of stuff we could talk about oh many yes don't be late but but I'm trying to make it not just a casual thing like oh don't be late but there's it's to your advantage in many ways you're gonna be more relaxed because you're not, oh, my God, I'm never going to make it. You left so early, there's no way you're going to be late. Right. So your vibe's calm. You're relaxed. You're listening to music. You're warming up if it's a type of thing that you could warm up to. Unfortunately, with me, I'm so stressed out of being er- about early, I kind of have a backwards problem. Like instead of me being stressed out of being late, I may be overly stressed out about guaranteeing I'm early, which is stupid. But that's just my own thing. That,
0: I'm actually the same way about that. You I know think, what I
2: mean? I think that a lot of people are actually like that.
0: My take on that too, with people who are habitually late, whether or not they are aware of it, it's disrespecting of other people's time. Big time. And it is kind of like tacitly stating to people you're working with, like my time is more important than your time. Because totally. I had something else going on before this, which maybe they did, maybe not maybe they were watching Netflix for an extra 20 minutes. It doesn't matter. But it's like, to, to me being early is showing respect to the people who you're working with more so than Big actually, time. actually
1: the time itself. Yeah. Yeah, I am so thankful you brought that up because oh. that is a huge thing. Being on time means being early.
2: If you're not, and if you're not early, you're late. Yep. Like that kind of thing. Yep. I
1: love it, and that is a huge takeaway for people. So uh, we appreciate you being here today, and uh, I mean, I, I feel like we could we could talk for part a, of a, another hour. Yeah, like, there's so much more I want to discover. Uh, so maybe we'll have we you talk back. About this
2: so that's super cool.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's great. So uh, how can people connect with you if they, if they want to? Oh,
2: uh, Facebook, my uh, well, I guess my website is Intimate Audio, which isn't a dirty thing. It's just like originally a label that I made a hundred years ago, and a whole artistic mindset of you know uh, raw recordings, not super processed, very natural. This is going way back. So Intimate Audio is way back in an earlier part of my musical life, a thing that I've now held on as my website address, but also Facebook. If you just typed in my name, it would come up, but my URL even on Facebook is Intimate Audio. Uh, Twitter, Dale Turner. YouTube, Dale Turner. I, Instagram, the same thing, I guess. And we'll link all this in the show notes Oh, as well. Thanks, you guys. But
1: uh, this has been a, a real pleasure speaking with you, and, and we've oh, covered right some really, really good gems, and, and I, I can't stress enough the importance of you bringing up the timeliness um, I think is that that oh, is sweet. just so big that I don't think we've, we've uh, spoken with any other guests who's talked about that yet. But that's mm-hmm. that's been I know it's like part of our principles, the mm-hmm. really core principles. So thank you so much for that. Um, and like I said, there's so much more we could talk about. So so maybe in the future, we'll have you back on yeah, awesome. um, and, um, and just go from there. But thank you. We appreciate your time. Thank you, and then um, we'll yeah, see you guys sense. next Great. episode.
0: Thanks for listening to Musician Mindset Podcast with Dave Johnstone and Jason Land. You can contact the show through Facebook and Instagram at Musician Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave a written review and a five-star rating on iTunes.